Hello, this is Alan Shipnuck back for another podcast with the Knockdown. I am joined as always by my esteemed colleague, Michael Bamberger. Michael, thanks for doing this. Word. <laughs> We're doing our traditional wrap up podcast, but an interesting situation has developed. When Brooks made the turn with a six stroke lead, Mike and I said, screw it, let's tape this thing and get it over so we can focus on typing. We, uh, we sneaked into the Bethpage Clubhouse. We had a, a few misadventures, um, to say the least. We finally have wound up where? Well, we went from the uh, uh, players' locker room in the vicinity of the Y.E. Yang Memorial Locker <laughs> with his nameplate now at a weird angle. I don't really understand why. It's a then metaphor, we, Mike. It's a metaphor. Then we went to uh, player dining, and we got the uh, uh, evil eye, stinky eye, stink eye there. And now we've uh, snuck into uh, caddy dining. Um, and we're ready to go, and the golf is getting. If I sound nervous, it's because I am nervous for Brooks Kepka. While all of that happened, and I had to replace the batteries in our, my recorder, Brooks has completely self-immolated. The lead is down to two. He's now facing a bogey putt on the 14th hole to try and preserve a one-stroke lead. It is tense here in the, the caddy dining. You know that when he blistered that, we think it's an eight iron over the uh, over the green on the par three fourteenth. We know he had to be thinking about number twelve at Augusta this year when he couldn't get a nine iron on the green. By the way, if he gets that nine iron on the green, he probably could be wearing a green coat right now, although not right literally this minute because that would be awkward and very Harry Vardenish. But what, what do you think he was thinking when he tried to, when he was in that eight iron? It's a, it's a tremendous point and. It's really a bad miss because long is dead, as we've seen, and short. There's a lot of green. Short left doesn't hurt you. You have a putt up the hill. Now, so. let's play that old game from yesteryear, make or miss. Make or miss, to tell the people what it make or miss is and what he's looking at here. He's looking at a little three-foot slider, probably left to right. I'm going I'm to say he, he makes it. He can't, say, he can't double bogey this. No. <laughs> we said on the last hole, if he's really Brooks Kepka, he'll make that nine-footer for, for par, and he didn't, but I think he'll definitely make this one. Okay, a hush falls over the crowd. He did. All right. So let's, let's play a little game here and fast forward an hour and a half. Brooks Kepka has somehow managed to hold on and not, I mean, it would actually be very on brand for, for Brooks to blow this just to smite all the reporters in the press room who are mostly done with their stories. Like it would, it would just, his crucifixion complex would, would really go to a next level because everyone would be legitimately mad at him. But let's assume he holds on. Can we make that mental leap? Yes. What does this mean? Four majors and eight tries. A mostly dominant performance here. He's conquered Shinny and Bethpage, two of the toughest courses in America. What does this say about the guy? It's easy to get swept up in the excitement. Let's not forget that Rory McIlroy was once exactly where this guy was. He masked four quickly. This guy's amassed four quickly. And Rory was younger, too, by the way. Rory was younger. Jordan, Rory was, Jordan Spieth had his run. Yeah, Rory... Rory did it with more charisma and style and really more shot making. This guy's this guy's really, really good. But if you looked at Rory and this guy side by side, I don't know that you'd say this guy is better than Rory, would you? I mean, if we're talking about peak Rory, he had so much flair, so exactly. much swagger. He shaped the ball. Um, and he was probably a little more explosive, but... Peak Brooks, as we're seeing, is so ruthlessly efficient. And his ball barely moves. He just smashes it down the middle. And he's ma he's really figured out how to play the toughest setups. Where Rory was more of a guy who would just run away when he could. And he was more of a, a great front runner. And Brooks is more of a grind it out, 
gritty kind of winner. So they're, they, ha they have a different personal affect, I would say. It, that's all true. But what has happened since he demolished Tiger Woods over that Thursday, Friday round? There's been nothing but discussion of Brooks Kepka and Tiger Woods in the same sentence. And what do you think that's What do you, He's supposed to be so impervious to all that kind of conversation. But do you think he actually is? I think that it's hard to play with a big lead. I mean, everybody's said it. And there's, I think it's, there's a tendency to play a little careful and play a little cautious. And I think, you know, we've, we've seen that on Sunday out of Brooks for sure a little bit on Saturday and this, this course is finally biting back. I mean, it, it's gotten tougher. The grass is longer. The greens are firmer. Um, you know, you've seen from the scores on Sunday that it's a much tougher test and Brooks is, he's, he's kind of experiencing that for the first time all week. Uh, no question. It's a much tougher test, but this guy's supposed to be all about standing up to the tough test. And he's been moving in this direction since Aaron Hills, which wasn't a tough test. And then the question was, well, can this guy win on a hard golf course? Well, then he won at Shinnecock Hills. Then he won at Belle Reeve, you know, in, in a sauna. And uh, staring down Tiger. Staring, that, uh, it was the right. interpersonal as, you know, aspect to that, right. which made it special. Right. Now, this tee shot sets up beautifully fine. Right. So now you can just smash a slice. We've gone from projecting to the future. We're back to the present. Brooks is on the 15th tee. It's a great hole. I love this hole. It's probably the hardest hole of Bethpage. If you, but he, if this you hole can, is perfect for him. Uh-oh. Looks like he killed it. Right edge of the fairway. Okay, he can actually breathe. You he know, he now, can breathe. We can breathe because yeah. this, this podcast is still viable. He is, it's viable, and he's got enough. He's one of the guys who can you know get the ball stop on this uh, 15th green. Who's feeling more pressure right now, Brooks or you and I? <laughs> Obviously, we are. I mean... <laughs> We seem to be choking. <laughs> he gets to play again, you know, whenever he wants. We don't have so many opportunities to podcast. No, this, that's this right. Is, this is a big deal. Right. And um, under, under these unusual circumstances. What do you think uh, it's done to Brooks to have to watch um, Harold Varner go cross country all day and play out of some unknown corners of Bethpage? Does that affect the playing partner? I think it's got to be really tough because uh, two ball golf, people think golf's a slow game, but when you're playing in two, when you're playing in a two ball, uh, two highly skilled golfers who are expected to hit down the fairway. It has a rhythm and a cadence, and this has not had any rhythm or cadence to it. They've been looking for Harold's ball, and sometimes they've been looking for Brooks's ball. Brooks has been trying to figure out some really weird yardages. Uh, that three-minute clock uh, uh, comes up fast, so you're thinking about that. Uh, you know, as we know, because we've done it, when you walk off the tee and you don't know exactly where your golf ball is, it's an unsettling feeling. It's, my, it's one of the worst feelings. Well, and I will say, but th th this showed a little bit of, of humanity and a little bit of class by Brooks when he, when he waded into the forest to help Varner look for his ball there on the, on the front nine. I, um, yes. That, that, that was a nice touch because, I mean, think about VJ. VJ would famously turn his back on his playing partners when they were hitting, and you put this in print. That's bad manners. You, you have an obligation as a playing partner to assist the other person in your two ball. And so the fact that Brooks paid attention and actually made the effort to go in there and look for the ball, I thought was kind of cool. Yes. Well, and it's cool slash appropriate. It's okay. really the only thing you're supposed to do. Yeah. And you know, when it's all said and done, this Brooks Cup actually really does do things the right way. And there's a lot to admire about him. Let's talk about your own journey with Kepka here for a minute while they're looking for their tee shots here. <laughs> uh, I'm 15. No, they're going to find them both. Um, uh, it's been rocky, and I'm just wondering how it's evolved and where you are right now. Not much has changed. 
I mean, it's really, it's really a great tragedy because, as I've said before, I was so well positioned to be the OB Keeler to his Bobby Jones. I single-handedly got him on the cover of SI. I got him on the cover of Golf Magazine. This is when nobody cared about Brooks Kepka. Literally, our, uh, when we were, this is when we were at Sports Illustrated. So now, of course, we're at the Golf Magazine properties. But the managing editor of Sports Illustrated was Stephen Canella, and I am 99% certain he never even heard Kepka's name until about Saturday of Aaron Hills. But I, I made such a hard sales pitch, he put him on the cover. Um, but things went a little pear-shaped. You don't have to, um, we don't have to relive it all, but it was, um, I feel like this guy's gonna be out here a long time. I'm gonna be out here a long time. I'm pretty sure we'll, we'll patch things up. I, I like writing about him. You know, he's, I don't, I don't think that Brooks is boring. I think that he doesn't always express himself well, but, um, and he's taken he's taken a few funny stances on certain issues, including his own likability and how he's treated by the media. But I think he's good copy. You know, he he. What what do you want from an athlete? You want them to deliver. Who delivers more, Ricky Fowler or Brooks Kepka? I mean, Ricky delivers during the commercial breaks, and Brooks delivers when it matters. And no disrespect to Ricky, he's had a nice career. But I mean, you look at their the way they're thought of in the golf world, the the endorsement, heat, the the fan hysteria when they walk by. I mean, by every measure, Ricky is a bigger deal than Brooks, except for where it really matters. And so, I, I respect that he's delivered. I think it's very well said. I've been extremely slow to get on the Brooks Kepka bandwagon here we're pausing and stalling because we've lost our TV what happened coverage. to the tvs you know what here okay, we go it's back. okay man that was full-blown panic <laughs> yeah that was that was worrisome uh i've been very <laughs> slow to get on the uh on the bk uh, uh train here but i'm fully on and a couple of things are going to hap- happen but one is that i think in his own way he's extremely thoughtful about who he is now, it's not expansive, but a lot of athletes are not expensive. It's very inward, but he really, he's taken C-ball, hit-ball to the highest possible level. And I think there really is something Buddhist-like about that, about that attitude. And actually, since everyone's trying to follow from, from the Tiger, Tiger Woods uh, prototype of how the game is played... It's really very different because Tiger is always calculating the odds of what the other guy can do. Uh, and it's a really very cerebral chess that he's playing. Yeah. But Brooks Koepka's thing is take care of my golf ball. Dustin with a bogey. And Dustin just made a bogey. That helps that, us. That yeah, helps well, the listeners. That helps the listeners because if, 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 if Brooks doesn't win this, this never podcast this. never happened. That's true. So this, this is all for the listeners. That's true. Um, should, should we segue quickly into the greatness that is Dustin Johnson? Well, let's save Dustin for a second because I think the point you made about Brooks is, is important. He, he's very authentic from the standpoint. All, the, all his contemporaries live their life on social media. And every vacation is treated like a media event and, you know, a branding opportunity. Brooks could care less about social media. He actually is a little bit of a throwback where he kind of keeps things private for the most part. And he's apathetic to a lot of the things that seem to drive his contemporaries. And I must be the last person not to know this, but you tell the viewers about it or the listeners about it. He's got no club deal. That's right. He just has a mishmash of clubs because he plays what he wants to. And he's made the proper calculation that he can make a ton of money winning golf tournaments and winning majors and he doesn't need you know take a check from uh an equipment company and you know if you remember those comments that Roy McIlroy made about how he had a driver it didn't really work for him he, he lost a whole year in in the weeds Rory has more money than God why would he sacrifice even one percent of his performance 
for more money. And so, I mean, it's funny that, that there's this perception that Brooks doesn't get the love he deserves and that uh, all this, that. I mean, there's so many things to celebrate about the guy and he just handles his business and that, that's what I like. And it, it raises, and one of the reasons we've, we've been writing about golf all our adult lives, we've written about a lot of other things, but golf's been the primary thing that we've both written about. And one of the reasons we both love writing about it so much is it really does reveal character. And uh, we both have been around Rory and enjoy listening to Rory. And Rory's a very well-rounded person with a lot of broad interests. But the fact that Rory's gone down one road equipment-wise um, with mixed results and this guy's gone down another, an, another road really is tremendously revealing about him. And it's actually hard to imagine Tiger in his prime or Jack in his prime ever making the decisions um, that, that many, many players uh, have made over the years. I mean, they absolutely put winning golf tournaments first. And without that, and, and I think one of the reasons, uh, I think one of the reasons Butch Harmon has gotten frustrated with the professional game is he grew up in an era, and many eras after him as well, the Curtis Strange era, where they really did have OCD for winning golf tournaments. And that doesn't burn as, as strongly today uh, as, it, as it does. That brings us to the issue of why, you know, Brooks has four major championships and two regular PGA Tour victories. And he's talked about this, and I've talked to other players about it. And I think it's an interesting point. I think part of it is, is simple interest level. He just doesn't get up for the Phoenix Open and the Wells Fargo Championship. And I think that's kind of cool. I mean, he, he's, he's figured out the formula. I mean, Jack... Well, Bobby Jones made the majors a big deal. Jack obsessed about it. Tiger took a d different level. So we've all agreed this is what matters. And yet then when, when Brooks lives his life that way, people almost hold it against him. But does it really matter how many B-list tour events he wins? No, it's just like what Phil's saying next week. What Phil's saying, what Phil has said this week, the only thing that can change the perception of my career is winning the U.S. Open. Uh, well, this Brooks Koepka figured that out very early on. He also figured out very early on that the way he plays golf the harder the course, the better for him. Uh, so he's taking a page right out of Tiger. And by the way, if you want to have a really long career, you're probably a lot better off playing 12 or 15 times a year than, than 20 and getting really geared up for those times that you play yeah. as long as you're not going to get uh, completely bored. Curtis just made this, uh, Curtis Strange just made this point to me earlier today when he said that in, in my day, even if you did take off two weeks, which was a big deal then, you still played golf at home every day and you hit balls every day and you obsess about golf every day. And Curtis made the point that he thinks these guys really do get away from the game. Um, and it's just different. Yeah. What's, what's he going to do here? Well, so Brooks now has a, a, a very tough downhill slider on the 15th hole for birdie. I think he just wants to cozy it down there within two feet and get the hell out of there. And frankly, that's what I want from him. Yeah. Two-stroke lead. Yeah. This is not a time to get cute. Mm. Yeah. Decent. So, How about the quality of this golf course, Alan? What, what has been your impressions of it? You know, it's such a big ballpark. I mean, just the scale is truly amazing. And... I just I love the way it looks. Every hole is kind of set off. There's not a bunch of houses. It's really like an experience out there. And so in that regard, I'm a big fan of Bethpage. The crowds have been a bit over the top, but it's hard to complain about having too much fun at a golf tournament when we rarely have any. So, um, But it's a little one-dimensional as a test. 
to me. Well, that's well said. That's been lost, and that's very, very important just, to say, it, especially with Pebble and, uh, and Port Rush coming up, yeah. which won't be. It's, it doesn't ask any questions. It already gives you the answers. Here's a very narrow fairway you have to hit, and if you don't, you have to hack it out. And then here's a very small green, and you only have one way to get there. That's through the air. And so it's going to identify a worthy and proficient champion, but I don't think it's been an artistic triumph. I mean, look, look at this 15th hole to a, you know, to a front, a front left pin. You know, you got to drive it a mile to be able to have a wedge in your hand to have any chance of getting it close. And, you know, how many players we, we sat at the beginning of the week and it didn't take any insight. Let's see what, what Kepka does with this uh, par putt on 15. Thank Very you, solid Brooks. and a little, kind of puts it off the toe a little bit, it seems to me, which is great on a hook putt. But yeah. uh, the sliding left to right putts, like the one he missed on the previous hole. Yeah, that's uh, well said. Uh, it makes it oh. a little harder. Look at but, that card. That's I mean, weird. Four to me, you, you look at Pebble Beach, will be a different test. There's gonna, It's going to be, it's going to have pretty skinny fairways. But when you get on the tee, you have lots of options. Exactly. You know, on almost every hole, you can try and smash a driver. You can lay back and carve a little two iron. Um there's there's just so many different ways to play each hole, not at Bethpage. You have to mash a driver and then just just keep pressing forward. It's really like a U.S. Open course, but I mean it's been a very will be a very neat golf year between Augusta National, Augusta National is Augusta National. This place is a classic U.S. Open course that they've set up beautifully. Pebble is Pebble, and then this unknown links course. Well, it's known to a lot of tourists play, but it's not known for tournament play. It's not known. It's, it's going to be great, but it show, the next two tournaments, we came this week. Well, you and I had this conversation beforehand. Who do you like? Well, who would you be least surprised to see win this event? Well, it's Brooks Kepka. Because he hits it a mile and hits it straight. Yeah. I mean, that, it's, it's that's interesting. the starting point and the finishing that, point, and that's why he's going to win this thing. That's why and, Dustin Johnson's going to be second, and, if we're correct about these <laughs> assumptions. And it's another, it's another reason why Brooks doesn't win so many tour events, because there on the average setup, hitting it straight is not that big a deal. There's very little penalty for being crooked. And because of that, everyone can, can just wail away on it and they still have wedges in. It's much harder for him to separate himself on that kind of a setup. When you absolutely have to hit it long and straight, he's the guy. And then because he's, he is so long, he has less club in, so he can hit it closer than everybody else. Same goes if he does miss a fairway. He's got the strength to muscle it onto the green. Uh, and then, you know, he led, he led the tournament in strokes gains putting the first two rounds. So when, when you hit it like he does and you putt it like that, I mean, it's quite a potent combination. Yeah. So um, you mentioned Dustin. we we got to touch on Dustin because I'm actually... Can we just make one quick aside about oh, this please. guy's golf game? What's his chipping game like? I have no idea. Barely seen him ever strip the golf ball. <laughs> it's a, I mean, it's efficient. He also the first two rounds he led he led the tournament in scrambling. He got it up and down from everywhere when he That's didn't. That's interesting. He okay, just, he has absolutely he has no weakness whatsoever. Looks and like it, he's actually trying to hit a draw shot here, which is weird. I like. I think you can shape it in there. How pure is that? It's going right <laughs> on, for the tee, as on they say on TV. Yeah. Thank goodness he's got the honor. You know, he's playing with the guy who's shooting eighty. It's nice to have the honor. You would expect him to have the honor all day long, but he actually hasn't. That's true. So let's talk about Dustin. This was an important round for Dustin uh, just to show up. No one really expected him to win. The deficit was too large, but he has been so rendered obsolete in his little relationship with, with Brooks. You know, he was the alpha. Brooks was his harmless little workout buddy. And the script has flipped so dramatically. It's... Um, I've, 
you know, obviously the, the beat down at Shinnecock Hills on Sunday when they played together and, and Dustin just kicked him in the teeth. That was, that was monumental. And Dustin has had a great career. He's going to go in the Hall of Fame. He's a prolific winner. But he cannot figure out these tournaments, and Brooks can. And it's, you know, these conditions really separate people's golf games and their mental abilities to to think their way around a course, to play the right shots, to stay cool. And it's clearly Brooks has a massive advantage in those departments. That stay cool factor, which, of course, neither Brandel Chamblee nor anybody at Columbia University can put a number on, it's really the difference. Because now, you know, we've all seen Dustin Johnson play a lot of golf. I think he's the most talented person in the game. But talent alone does not win you, you know, win these events. But he's got more shots. He's got more finesse. He's got more touch. I mean, he's like John Daly. He's, he's probably better than John Daly. He's phenomenal. This guy's probably better than uh, than John Daly, and he's probably better than Brooks Kepka. But Brooks Kepka is going to win more than uh, more, more than Dustin Johnson. Just a quick note: when they're walking off the 16 tee, you saw the most emotion you've seen from Brooks Kepka all day when he was assertively pointing out to the marshals that Harold Varner III was way left. Reason being. He does not want to wait a full three minutes, have the guy lose the ball, and then have to schlep back to 16T while he's trying to win this thing. He he's wants deep. this game to continue to move. Farner, just keep progressing towards the green. That's all I'm asking for you at this point. And everyone loves Harold Varner. I love Harold Varner. Um, but this, this was his first time, you know, this was his, his turn in the barrel. Your first time you play in one of the last few groups at a major like this, the whole world's watching, and you can get completely embarrassed. You, you it's know. hard to watch. It is hard to watch. I feel bad for him. He's such a bright, inquisitive person. The, the one time I really spent time with him, he, he explained to me his thing is, whomever I meet, and I believe that's the word he used, whomever I meet, I'm going to ask them a question about what makes them tick and try to learn something from that person, whether it's you know an Uber driver, or Warren Buffett, or, or or anybody else. Yeah, uh, he when, has. There's 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 a wonderful quality about him, and uh, I think he's getting a lot out of his game. I don't think he's super good at golf. He's very good at golf, but for him to just to get into this position and be in the last group, uh, is it, it, a good thing, and he'll certainly learn something from today. No, it's huge, and I honestly feel so much better about myself when I see it happens almost every major, right? Uh, Harold Varner blows up this is a guy he's one of the 100 best in the world at what he does he's dedicated his life to being an effective pro golfer and the game has just given him the back of the hairbrush and so when when you or i go out and play in a match it's important to us and you know we shoot 92 it's kind of, and you have so much self-loathing and but it happens to everybody and it's, it's actually um it makes me feel more connected to these guys as human beings and not as these these golfing terminators. Well, let's speak of your golfing activity this week. I mean, you, you saw the highs and the lows, the good and the bad. Um, <laughs> you, you went you, you went to, to one you played two top two hundred golf courses in the world this week and had two very different experiences just in terms of managing your own golf game. Well, the um, I went to Wingfoot West, site of next year's uh, U.S. Open, because the listeners have a right to know. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really part of our job to to see these venues and, and to be able to speak about them knowledgeably. And How many times has President Trump won the club championship there? Zero. Oh, really? Okay, because I know he's won a lot of club titles. Every, every... And I know he's a member there. He's a member. I don't think he's set foot on the grounds in decades. Every Wingfoot member tells the same story, that, that Trump was playing in a club championship and some very dark things happened, some serious breaches of rules and etiquette, and then he was essentially banned from the club, even though he was... But because Fred Trump 
employed half of the Wingfoot membership in some capacity with contracts, and they couldn't bounce him out of club. But he's not. He was never. He was made to feel unwelcome, and so that's just part of Trump's golfing legacy. But Wingfoot is amazing, and yes, I, I did. I did drive the ball so beautifully, and I was bragging to you about I was like Greg Norman in, in his prime, and then a few days later I went out to Rockaway Hunting Club, which is a really wonderful. Is golf that the course. name of that club? Yeah. It's got an ing. On yes, it? I like it better without the ing, but it's officially it's got the ing. And well, then, my apologies to our young colleague Sean Zock. I uh, you corrected him. No, I incorrected him. <laughs> I, I thought I thought there was no gerund on it. No, there is. Um, and yeah, I was feeling so cocky and we were having a match and I just couldn't find the fairway after I'd probably hit 13 out of 14 at Wingfoot. And it was just, it was one of those things. I mean, the game takes and, and it gives in equal measure, but that, that's why we love Did it. Did you lose any balls at Wingfoot? No, I used the same ball all the way around. And um, it was the roughest stick. I mean, they were, it's already pre-US Open rough, um, but what a phenomenal track. Now this Brooks Skepka is playing like a guy with a three-shot lead. He just hit the, the most conservative approach shot imaginable into uh, 16. But he's going to chew putt it, and he's going to finish par-par here, and he's going to win by three. I'm a little disappointed. I wanted Brooks to, to do something spectacular either way. Either shoot 78 and lose it, which would have been a great story, or shoot 65 and smash all the records. So to limp in with a, a 73 and to win by three, it's not quite what we wanted, but ultimately... A win is a win, and that's all that matters. I, I, well, you see, I hope the listenership won't take this the wrong way, but I, I, I think this, I, I think this is a win for Tiger. Uh, can, can you imagine what Tiger would have done this weekend? <laughs> can you imagine what Tiger would have done on this Sunday? I, yes, I mean I know your point. Tiger was great at extending a lead. He but got it to fifteen. He got it to twelve. He got it to seven. He yeah. expanded Sunday leads like nobody's business, often without doing anything remarkable. This and, this made quiet a little of the the, the talk, but. Uh, at the same time, let us not forget that Brooks stared down Tiger the final round of the PGA Championship last year. When, don't agree. What's that? I don't agree. Well, Tiger, Tiger, Tiger played w- his bottom off he to did. kind of make it a game for yeah. a minute. Oh, for sure. It was a huge mountain to climb. But the last few holes, Tiger's right there. The entire world was going crazy, and Brooks hit the shots and pulled it out is the bottom line. I mean, yeah. Um, and Brooks continued playing the golf he had been playing, and yeah. hats off to him. It now, was, it was true. Now, Tiger got him back in a monumental way at the Masters. So then, I'm not saying this was the rubber match, but to, to, to go 63-65 in front of Tiger Woods, his own self, the first two rounds here, that was macho. That was a statement. That was a statement. And Greg Norman said, said to me in, in an email that Tiger had to be taken a little aback, was, uh, was Greg's word, I believe, uh, by what Brooks Kepka did. There's no look. What Tiger has done this year and last year, we've discussed it a lot. It's absolutely phenomenal. But there is no way on this green earth of ours that Tiger Woods can look in the mirror and say that he's the best golfer in the world. No, he's one, he's a very very good golfer, and it's amazing that he's still discussed among the top five players in the game. And and he and he probably is, but yeah, that's a I mean, lot. Clearly, he was unprepared this week. He, he didn't have, he didn't put any, he had no reps. He had no grind. He was just kind of enjoying his, the Masters hangover. I actually like that. That was very human of Tiger. Yeah. Like, hey, I won the Masters. What yeah. more do you want from me? Yeah. Like, um, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Having said that, I thought he'd come out here and play good golf. I didn't think he'd. But for, for Brooks, the driver is an absolute weapon. And for, for Tiger, it comes and it goes. Sometimes it's, it helps him. And sometimes it hurts him. 
it, but you never really know. It, the, the back nine at the back nine at Augusta, he drove it like Brooks Kepka. But um, you know, this week he couldn't hit the fairway. And if Tiger's not driving it well, he, the, the rest of his game is just not good enough to overcome. Well, that. this was a much much tougher driving test than than yes, Augusta National. For sure. No question about no it. No question. And we but, discussed this uh, before this event event began. But I felt that of the four majors, this would be the hardest of the four of them. I would you have to think probably. I have to think Portland should probably be the easiest of the four, and then and then Pebble right after that. But even with his poor performance here, I would expect him to have two good performances in the in the final two majors of the year. I agree. So let's put a bow on this. Um, as our man Brooks Kepka is putting for a birdie on 16 and is going to ice this thing. Beautiful lag. Putt. That is spectacular. I mean, that's the thing is he has he has such a good touch. I mean, his stroke gain putting stats are terrific. His wedge game is unlike Rory. He has a he has a wedge game. Um, and then, I'm yeah, sorry, I didn't mean please. to interrupt. No, no, you, you finish no, the thought. I wanna, no, your thoughts well, are more interesting. What? No, it's just a question. He's got a little meat there left. What? Uh, what is your observation about the uh, Kepka Brandel-Chambly relationship? And to what degree, since you've sort of been in, the, in a similar position, do you think Kepka actually uses that as motivation? Oh, right I, down I think to for the sure. Nose? I, I think that. Um, you know, they're both good at their jobs, and Brandel's job is to be a contrarian and to create debate and offer insight, and he's really, really good at it. I think he's clearly whiffed a few times on Brooks, and he keeps doubling down, and it's not really working out for him, um, but that's okay. It's, it's, it's good copy. It's good TV. Um, I think Brooks, you know, he... As he said, a picture's worth a thousand words. That that clown nose photo that he tweeted out was a pretty strong statement. But deep down, Brooks is probably enjoying it because he's made it clear he wants to be a topic of conversation in this game. And he's certainly been that. And Brandel's helped stoke that. And I, I think you're right. It, it's just one of those little things when he's got 225 on the bench and he's got it and he's on like his seventh rep and he's something. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if he thinks about Jenna, if he thinks about a yacht. He might think about Brandel, but whatever it is, it gets him through that last set, and um, it's helpful. Brandel really is an excellent provocateur, and uh, so, no. he, so, so, so he is doing his job. And I think something that doesn't really get discussed is Golf Channel has had a lot of influence on the modern game in a lot of ways. For one thing, it's made statistics much more available. We see many more shots uh, uh, than we used to see. But also it changes expectations a lot because there's so much pre-game analysis, way, way more than, of course, there was none in Jack's day. Yeah. And in Tiger's early day, there were some, but Golf Channel wasn't really in, in its full measure yet. But now, like, like this week, I saw Francisco Molinari, and, it's, and I said to who we both love, I mean, I wouldn't want to have to choose between Jordan Spieth and Frankie Molinari as, as one of my two favorite people in golf or maybe even beyond. But... Frank has a level of intelligence and sophistication. Anyway, my question to him was, uh, I know, Frank, this is going to sound ridiculous, but when you woke up Sunday morning at Augusta and you're putting on that white shirt and you're putting on those dark slacks, was it possible not to think about how it was going to look with a green coat? And he said in that beautiful monotone of his, you would hope that you do not think of such things, but of course it is impossible not to. Well, of course, it's impossible not to. It's impossible not to have expectations. And the Golf Channel, Golf Channel, drop the V, it's all about expectations. They're always predicting what might happen, what could happen. Right. And it can't not get in your head at some point, unless you're this guy. 
Well, and we and we touched on Rory before. I mean, Rory had his ups and downs with with social media. He's been off. He's been on. He's uh, he's had his little dust ups with Brandel. Also, he was a guy who paid a little too much attention, and I think that's that's been a problem for him. I think certain things have gotten in Rory's head over the years. Is that does that explain exactly why he stopped winning majors? No, of course it's not the only reason, but it's some insight into how he thinks. Um, I think Brooks is really good at funneling out everything that he needs to. I think the Brandel stuff amuses him and arouses him, and so he uses it. But um, I, it's like you said, the, the equipment contracts, the, uh, how people handle social media, none of that means anything except it reveals who they really are. Right. And um, I think we're getting to know a little more about Brooks, and there's nothing to make us think he's not going to keep dominating. I mean, I don't see him getting sidetracked. I really don't. No, because it seems to be this is his main interest is is winning golf tournaments. Seems to be just be his main interest. That, that roar y'all heard was for for Brooks's tee shot on 17, Good. safely on the putting surface. Fine, not not excellent, but, but Michael, fine. A it's pleasure. A, just one quick thought about yes. this guy. You know, one, you know, I'm as I've said early on, I'm really late getting on the bandwagon here. But one of the things that's turned me around about him is I always thought him as a South Florida kid, and I really didn't know anything about his background. But I learned about his Western Pennsylvania roots. Both parents are from West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Western Pennsylvania. Um, it just made me. Uh, his father's uncle is a, uh, a legendary Pittsburgh Pirate. Uh, uh, Dick wrote. Um, it just made me think of him much more in a working class traditional golf background um that hogan comes out of that tiger comes out of uh jimmy furick <laughs> yeah furick is just grind it out grind it out grind yep. out so you got the grind it out mentality coupled with tremendous athleticism and it should be a recipe for a very long successful career and a spectacular work ethic and i've been in the gym with him and dustin and those guys are not messing around i mean it's it's not for show. It's it's serious business. All right, let me ask you just one thick thing. Yeah. Just, I think you might know the answer, and I have no real insight into it. What is their friendship actually like? Are they, you know, we, we, we heard maybe there was some sort of dust up between the two of them at the Ryder Cup last year. Are they, you know, I've heard them said on TV, oh, well, they're best friends. Are they really best friends, or are they, what are they actually? They were, they, they one million percent were best friends until Brooks started winning major championships. And mm -hmm. I think it's gotten slightly complicated now mm -hmm. uh, for a variety of reasons. But the friendship was legit. Um, they basically lived across the water from each other. They hung out. Um, but they're, they're both, you know, I, I read something today about the writers just saying, I don't really, I don't really like Brooks. You know, he, he's, he's, presented as this this mega jock and i don't like those guys no one liked those guys in high school you know the the, the stud jocks like they're they're all dicks and um so i think that occasionally brooks and 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 dustin are gonna butt heads if they were 13 years old they'd be rolling around in the dirt punching each other now that they're theoretically adults um maybe it's more passive aggressive maybe someone threw a, a punch at the Ryder cup maybe they didn't depends who you believe but um I, you know I think that that's all part of the ups and downs. They, I always said that Tiger and Phil should have been best friends because only they could relate to each other. Uh, they're both from California. They they both have a certain level of wealth and fame that no other golfers have really had in the modern era. Um, it was always a mystery that they weren't closer until of late. And who can understand Brooks' life like Dustin and vice versa? So um, I think they're always going to be close, but 
sharing the same trainer, the same agency, the same chef, the same gym, the same golf clubs. It gets a little complicated. I mean, uh, you know, they, they both are have that sort of alpha energy, but uh, it's it's clear that, who, that Brooks is the guy and it's not Dustin. And I know that hurts Dustin and I know it makes Brooks feel a little awkward. And I think they're kind of working that stuff out. Interesting. Well said. All right, let's sign off so we can go out and run around okay. and do our jobs. Uh, thanks for listening, y'all. This was definitely um, a, a different kind of podcast. I hope it worked. It was tense. I feel a little, a little dramatic uh, energy between the two of us. Um, Michael and I will continue to do our podcasts from the major championships and even maybe even ahead of them. So for Alan Shipnuck, Michael Bamberger, signing off from the Bethpage Caddy Shack. <laughs>